0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. All right, well, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would bear witness to your word. Thank you for the Bible, that we have access to it, that it's it's here for us, uh, ready, waiting for us. Lord, that you would speak to us. And God, we ask that you would open up your word to us and that you would come and encourage this community tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Caitlin mentioned, Brad's out. Um, they're doing this House of Prayer Conference. So when, uh, when we knew the schedule was coming up in the way that it was, uh, I wanted to have an opportunity to to do a three-part series. Typically, whenever uh, people are out or whenever Brad's out, we we kind of rotate. But I wanted to be able to do a three-part series. So we're going to do session one tonight, and then we're going to be doing subsequent sex, uh, sessions in in coming months. So you won't hear session two for you know four or five weeks or something like that. But that's okay. We have the online archives to be able to to get this. So. I'm going to give us a little bit of uh, of an overview of what the whole series is going to be like, and then um, we'll we'll go through tonight's content. So, this one is "When We Dwell Together," Session One: Introduction to the Blessing. So, this is a three-part series intended to give a high vision, a high calling to the prayer room community. So, for everyone who's been around for a long time, you know, years, or for those who have just been coming around. This is an attempt to try and get everyone on the same page or at least aiming toward the same goal uh, in in the way that we're doing ministry, not in changing anything up here, but really in the way that we uh, position our hearts in the things that we do, both on the stage or in the room or in the lobby, in the way that we interact. And so... Uh, This is really supposed to uh, give us a a biblical, um, like, prize to to go for when it comes to community. Um, And so in this first session, we're going to be looking at Psalm 133. Um, I'm going to give some background on all of those. But um, this is really an introduction into the whole series. And uh, what this is going to do is... Give us a, an invitation to prioritize unity with those who are serving here. So many of you are uh, on one or two sets, some more. You're committed to a, a weekly prayer meeting. Some of you uh, haven't done that yet and are, are just coming around and, and becoming a little bit more familiar with this with this uh, ministry. And so as we're serving here, uh, I want to give us the the opportunity to see there is more, even while we're doing what we're doing, in ministering to the Lord and doing that together, there's more available to us. There's a blessing when the decision is made to emphasize and strengthen community, specifically as a priesthood, as we'll, we'll look into here. So I want to read the, the part of Psalm 133 that we get, the... Um, the, the title here, and it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And there's something special to that. We're going to get into that here in just a second, breaking down the passage. But I think whenever the word uh, says, Behold, it's trying to give, get our attention. And that's that's what we're, we're going to be doing is looking at this in this first session. In the second session, we're gonna be looking, uh, continuing in the theme of this Psalm 133 blessing, specifically, going for unity. Uh, if, if you just want kind of a, a phrase of this first session, it is really being intentional about unity. Now, there, that's kind of loaded because that means a few things about our own, our own personal freedoms that we, that we have to sacrifice a little bit for the sake of unity. Uh, that means embracing humility and, and a few other things, but that's really the, the aim is being intentional. About unity. So, in the second session, we're going to focus more on the vertical relationship. So, there's, I believe, some prerequisites for unity to work, um, not just in an event, but in a sustainable cultural way in the ministry. And um, we have uh, various backgrounds and a, and a lot of different, um, you know, experiences and things like that. But One of the most important things that we can, I mean, all of Christianity, but but specifically in us trying to focus on unity in the context of a priesthood, one of the most important things is to focus on our relationship, our personal relationship with the Lord, but also our corporate relationship with the Lord. And so we're going to be uh, looking at uh, more of that vertical relationship, being confident in love. with the Lord uh, as, as, again, individuals, uh, but also uh, as a corporate body. In the third session, uh, we're going to be looking at the horizontal relationship, how we relate with one another, and this is a a, a gr- I mean, um, just a brilliant and um, and em- a brilliant emphasis that that I've been hearing so much more about is is uh, John thirteen through or fourteen ish through seventeen. A lot of people have been really emphasizing. I feel like the the Spirit is really emphasizing those passages right now. Uh, even even hearing about the way that we can look at the rest of the Bible and even the way that we can look at the end times through the lens of John 14 through 17 and in that we see Jesus really in his farewell address to, to his disciples give an emphasis to the vertical relationship and then the way that we relate to one another so that's what this series is gonna be about we're gonna focus on the blessing that is available to us in community when we do this Um, With the focus of unity, we'll then, in the second session, look at the vertical relationship, and then in the third and final session, we'll look at the horizontal relationship or the way that we relate to one another. All right, so we're going to get into the background here of of, uh, Psalm 133. Uh, want to give you, I just, this is just my way. Whenever I'm, I'm digging into something, I go and I just find bunny trail after bunny trail. And so I want to share some of those findings with you. Psalm 133 is one of the 15 Psalms in a special class of Psalms called Songs of Ascents. So when I when I realized that this Psalm was in the Songs of Ascents uh, class or category of Psalms, uh, I wanted to make sure she's not in here, so I can I can tell this story, just uh, the way that I would anyway. But uh, <clears throat> Christy, I wanted to make sure that I went and talked to Christy about this psalm because I wanted to make sure that I did my due diligence and part of my research. The reason is because um, a couple of years ago, uh, when she when she was first coming around here. We were really focusing on uh, Psalm 91 so kind of as COVID was just about to happen we started focusing on Psalm 91 we just got that that uh, heads up from the Lord and um, so we're praying into Psalm 91 COVID breaks out and everything's going crazy and no one knows about anything that's happening and um, and and so we're developing uh, kind of language around Psalm 91. A lot of you know, there's a few people trying to memorize it. Others trying to to really get a, a history and prayer over Psalm 91. And so we change our rapid fire uh, topic to Psalm 91. And so we're praying that. And you know, just the way that we are, things kind of start getting stale a little bit. So I was looking for other cross references in the Word, and. Um, There was this phrase that I found in Psalm 125, which is one of the songs of ascents. And um, it's it's a phrase. Let me go to it real quick because I don't remember it. It says... uh, Verse two: As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. So I was like, "Lord, surround Your people like the, the mountains surround Jerusalem." So I'm, I'm praying it, and Christy's the worship leader, and um and so she she picks up on that phrase. I mean, I prayed for a little while, and and she picked up on the phrase. And she started developing a course around it. So I was like, "Oh, she must have liked that phrase." So after the set, I got we're both in the lobby. Uh, I think she was the usher right after. That's how we do it around here. You worship. Lead, and then you usher, and then, you know, you might prayer lead the next set, and then you usher again, so, I mean, you're just always changing the vest, right, and um, so she was the usher, and I went up, and I was like, hey, by the way, you know, that phrase, um, as the mountain surround on Jerusalem, uh, that comes from Psalm 125, and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I like that one, or so, she said something smart, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know it's it's one of the songs of a sense. She's like, oh yeah, you know from 120 from 120 to 135. I was like, oh you know, and she was like, yeah I do. You know, just like very humble. Like oh, I know. I was like, oh cool. Well, well, what else do you know? She goes, well actually when I when I spent some time living in in Jerusalem. Um, me and the group that I was with we were planning a vineyard on the on the side of the mountain, and we would sing the songs of ascents as we were working and stuff. And we, you know, we were singing them in Hebrew. And I was like, "Oh, I'm a complete idiot." <laughs> so I made sure that I, uh, whenever I was gonna do a message on Psalm 133, that I did my due diligence. So I went and had a conversation this week and, and got some good insight. So. There you have it. I'm glad she came in when she did. (laughs) All right, so Psalm 133 is one of the songs of ascents. And um, uh, of these 15 Psalms, four of them were authored by King David himself. So Psalm 122, 124, 131, and 133. And so again, we're looking at 133 today. And again, these were intended to be sung on the way up the mountain to worship the Lord. One of the themes that you'll see in these Psalms that's just so beautiful, I was going through them um, in in preparation for this, and I was looking at how many phrases in this category from Psalm 120 to 135 that I've heard in songs or in, in past uh, times of reading through my Bible There are so many phrases in this group of 15 psalms that that have always just captured my attention or the lord you know quicken my spirit as i'm reading these and so they're just so filled And, and i was looking and and kind of like lord what is kind of the theme with these why are these so good and one of the things about them as you read them they are so filled with hope they're filled with expectation. They are looking to the Lord. You know, even you know, where does my help come from? I look to the hill. You know, that phrase is is, is in here as well. There's there's other phrases that that are in songs or or have been um, just you know, put on display by uh, saints of old and in in hymns and things like that. And so. Um, you know, these this is just a a special class of it. So Psalm one thirty three, uh, sequentially, comes after one thirty two, and um, and I think it's it's kind of cool as you look at one thirty two. That's the 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 psalm that highlights David's vow. Um, so. I mean just house of prayer theme after house of prayer theme house of prayer theme so 132 is is the one that's like oh lord remember your servant david how how he he promised that he would give himself no rest until he found a resting place for the mighty one of jacob for the for the god of israel and so it's it's one of these uh these Uh, classes of psalms that are just so special and filled with so many things that a community like this would really identify. And and really, this is just a sales pitch. If, If you're just, you know, wanting to read something new or you know try and go deep in something this category of psalms 120 to 135 would just be a great uh study to go through especially with the with the uh intention of of reading it here in this room in the midst of of ministering to the lord it'd be awesome great uh, little st- side study for you so anyway, as we said, uh, King David authored this one. Just a reminder, David is the man after God's heart. And he's esteemed in Christianity for, for very many reasons. Uh, his kingship, him being a warrior, uh, him being um, uh, a grand mistake maker, uh, an awesome repenter. He He was... Uh, so amazing, amazingly quick at operating in the grace of God. Whenever he messed up, he owned it. He went and repented and he was right back in to into worship. He never gave himself uh, a timeout. He never put himself in the penalty box. He always went right back in. And so I, I think about uh, that the way the gentleness of God made him great. That's a, a Psalm 18, 35 uh, verse. The way that God's gentleness made him great. In Psalm 18, uh, 20, the way that the Lord delivered him because he delighted him. You, you begin to get the idea that David had this different view of God. And specifically for the house of prayer, we esteem David for another reason that's that's maybe not as known, at least right now, to uh, many others in the body of Christ, and that is he established an additional worship service in addition to the animal sacrificial system that Moses that Moses had set up, and so we we. Um, in the house of prayer movement and prayer rooms that that operate kind of in this um, this melding of worship and prayer look to David as as one of the, the as the first to do it and inspired by God in doing it. He's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel who authored nearly half of the Psalms. So this is, this is a, a cool psalm specifically because, number one, it's short. So if you're in your Bible reading plan and you're doing a chapter a day, it's like sweet, three verses. I can really go deep in this and not be over real quick. I know what you guys are thinking. <laughs> I can really go deep in this uh, psalm and really just marinate over these three verses. Um, so I want to read over it. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll start picking it apart. Quick note, the, uh, the key phrase in this, in this psalm is, it's the title of, of the series, and that is, When Brothers Dwell in Unity. It's going to be referred to in three different times, uh, once on the front end and then twice on the back end. But we're going to pick this apart after I read it, and then uh, we'll, we'll look to see what we can learn from here. and that word behold, it's a it's a it's a word hine and and that is low or look. This word is intended to get the person's attention. It's first used in the garden in Genesis 129 when when God is getting uh, Adam's attention and telling him This is what you're going to be in charge of. He first tells, he tells uh, Adam, okay, here's what you're going to be doing. And this is what I'm giving you. This is what I'm putting under your care and your charge. And he gets his attention with this word, hine. So here we start off with, with this. And David is using it, hine. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This phrase, good and pleasant, is pretty remarkable when you, when you begin to pick it apart and even look at it, at both of these words individually. I think about uh, specifically vegetables um, when, uh, when I was growing up. I knew that there were vegetables that were good for me but were not pleasant. And then I, I knew the foods that were pleasant. And I was told they weren't typically good for you. So you've got the the plate of vegetables and you've got the, the cake on this side. And one is good, in my eyes at least, one is good and one is pleasant. But neither plate is good and pleasant. And so this particular phrasing, how good and pleasant, is supposed to get our attention and... In the description that when brothers dwell together in unity, it's both good and pleasant. It's it is something that is unique. So we look at the next one. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil. uh, Part C on the top of page three. It's like the precious oil. And David begins to describe specifically what oil he's talking about. The precious oil, and then he, he refers to the oil that's running down the head, dripping down the beard and onto the, onto the garment of, of Aaron specifically. Now when we look at, at uh, Exodus 30, there are some very specific guidelines. Now I was trying to think, and I think about uh, the ingredients to this precious oil. There's the recipe here in Exodus 30. I was trying to think, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I've smelled most, and I think the only one is cassia. I don't know what that smells like, but here's the ingredients. It's supposed to be made of liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon, sweet-smelling cane. I'm guessing that sugar could be wrong. Cassia and olive oil, and it was prohibited to make this oil for personal use. It was intended to be made for a specific purpose with specific quantities of oil. I didn't put the recipe because I didn't want to get any of you in trouble because it's prohibited for personal use. If you're going to copyright infringe, you've got to go on your own and look it up. But I'm not going to be any part of that. So I, I'm saving you here from whatever would befall you. Um, It's prohibited for personal use, but it was intended to make whatever it touched holy. This oil, this recipe was set apart. It was prescribed by God. It's actually God who's telling Moses, this is how you make it. These are the quantities. This is what you use. And when you use this oil, it will make these things holy or set apart. Not like uh, holy in, in the way that it's like, it's got some new magical powers. But holy, as in this has been set apart for special use, for special purpose. So in addition to using this oil for anointing the head of Aaron and then his sons for the priestly service, these are the other things that were, that were anointed with this oil and set apart. The tabernacle, the actual tent, the tabernacle that Moses would serve in, the, te- the tent of meeting, was anointed with this oil. The ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant was also anointed with this oil. The table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, which also had a special recipe, which you get in trouble if you, if you make for personal use. The altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the laver and its base. And so you look at these and these articles along with the tent itself and then the priests who are going to be in this were all anointed, set apart with this special oil. Now going back to the context here, it what David is saying as the one who is who was uh, starting up this whole house of prayer thing, uh, he's saying guys, we have touched something special. I believe that he's, he's not just talking here from, uh, from theory. He's not just postulating, hey, I bet it would be like this. I believe he's describing something that, that him and, and the rest of the, the priests have touched. They touched something special in their ministry. And what he's saying is, when we actually had brothers dwelling together in unity... It was as precious as the oil that was, again, special use. There was no personal use. It was, it was set aside to be holy. It's like that. It's different. It's set apart. It's not just the, the guys who, who go and play cards on Wednesday night. It's not that. This is not just guys who come together. It's not even the fact that brothers are, uh, you know, in the same family. It's when brothers dwell together. Now, this is, uh, I believe, speaking of the uh, unity that can be found in, in, like, brothers, you know, brothers from the same mother or brothers from another mother. But... Um, Brothers, I grew up with a brother, and we dwelt together, and it wasn't, it was never unity, probably. We fought so much growing up, and so when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, man, I bet it would be sweet, you know, if brothers are dwelling in unity. You don't have to, like, fight for your stuff. You don't have to worry about, like, whatever prank was going to be played on you. You don't have to worry about, you know, just all the different stuff and shenanigans that brothers do to each other. But when brothers dwell together, there's something special. And I believe that David was talking about something that they touched in a measure of unity that was set apart. And it was as special as that holy, anointing, precious oil that was used in the tabernacle. All right, continuing on in Psalm 133, the next phrase is Mount Hermon. So I spent a lot of time, probably too much time, uh, looking and researching about Mount Hermon. And I was looking at, at all of these different things about it and really just seeing if the Lord would breathe on on different things. And uh, I did find a, a couple things. But man, just aside from whatever Bible teaching and, and nuggets here. That looks like the best place to go. I've never been to Israel. I'd love to go to Israel. If I ever get the chance to go, I think I want to go spend a couple days up in this area. This is like the hike the place you want to go hiking. There's waterfalls, it's snow capped, it looks beautiful. There's a nature reserve. It is like gorgeous looking. And there's these pools that are are like Uh, stream fed and all this stuff and um, it wasn't until a couple years ago when i got to go to colorado i used to think that mountain people like people who like typically whenever uh people say what what they prefer i'm a mountain person i'm a beach person i always used to think that that mountain people were crazy I grew up in, uh, in uh, Southern California, part of my childhood like a mile from the beach, and so I spent so many of my days going to the beach. And I was like, "You mountain people are crazy. You just never actually been to a good beach." And so a couple of years ago, I got to go to uh, to the Rockies, and uh, we we stayed in this like amazing chateau. I didn't even know what a chateau was, but this thing called a chateau. It's basically a fancy like. Hotel or something like that. But looking out the window, you see the mountains. Across the street is the entrance to the Rocky Mountain National Park, and um, and so we were there. Uh, Vina and I were there for a wedding. I was uh, officiating a wedding, and we were like, we've we we've got to look around a little bit. Typically, we try and find like some shopping, you know, we'll find a thrift store, I'll find, you know, something else to to go look at or whatever. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of that in this town. And so we were like, well, we got to look around anyway. So we we go and we're like, okay, well, let's just go across the street and look at the uh, visitor center for the Rocky Mountain National Park. And so we go and it's like, I mean, it's beautiful, like miles out, but we're like, well, let's, let's you know look around. So we go around the visitor center after we had been inside. And just behind the visitor center was this stream with boulders and the air was crisp and there was like a little bit of wildlife roaming around. We saw this big, uh, not a moose. I don't remember what it was. No, it was a camel. What is it? No, not a camel. Not a camel, not a caribou, whatever they are up there. It wasn't a moose. I guess it wasn't. It had to have been an elk. The other thing was huge. But I hear the moose are even bigger. But we're seeing this stuff, we're like, oh my gosh. We've got to figure out a way to go hiking. So the day before the, the uh, ceremony was going to happen, we woke up early so that we could uh, go hike and be in the mountains for the sunrise. And so we we wake up early. We drive into the mountains at this trailhead and we start uh, we start hiking. And we're we're there uh, hiking. It's cold, but uh, we've got these little can. We got a pro tip. Somebody told us you want to get these little cans of air. And so we're like taking the the little hits of cans of air. I didn't realize. But most of the time, whenever you feel winded, it's because there, there's not enough, not enough oxygen in your lungs. It's not that you're tired always, but a lot of times it's because you don't have oxygen. So we we were hiking and, and you could take these little you know, of oxygen or whatever. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't feel tired anymore. I don't feel winded. So it was really cool. Anyway, bunny trail. Uh, we're um, we're hiking, we get we get to this little peak and the sun comes up. And we are just like, oh my gosh, God! And we just worshipped. It was, uh, it was us and another couple. We just worshipped, and it was like one of the like thickest presence of God moments out in nature that I've ever had. And I was just like, oh my gosh! I think we looked up that uh, Brian McCleary song, Up on the Mountain. We we're like, oh yeah! It was, it was awesome. It was so good. Anyway. I like the mountains now. I'm not sold on the beach. I like the beach, but I like the mountains now. I try to get mountain. So anyway, if I ever go to Israel, this is where I'm going, Mount Hermon. Anyway, so cool. This is in the, uh, the area Caesarea Philippi. One of the things, when, when I saw that, Caesarea Philippi, was there, I was reminded. And I think Jesus was actually uh, putting one of these little nuggets in there. In, uh, this is not in the notes, but if you want to go there. Matthew 16, in uh, verse 13. This is kind of a cool little connect-the-dots moment. So remember the, uh, the setting that I just described. It's nature preserve. There's... Uh, There are streams at this time. Uh, The the water source is kind of dried up a little bit. But back then it was it was much more abundant in in the water uh, that was produced. There's springs, but then also the the dew that's up there and and just the 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 climate up there is just gorgeous. Anyway, so in this region, Caesarea Philippi is is where this picks up. uh, Matthew 16, 13. Now watch this. When uh, Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, so he's here at this gorgeous nature preserve quality mountain, right? And he, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? So Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on and says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. So if you look at the the language here, he says, And here on this rock, remember where they're at in this region, he's going to build his uh, ecclesia. There's unity. In Psalm 133, David says, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon that comes down. Unity, when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the assembly of believers. If they will take, if they will dwell together, if they will lay down some of their rights, if they will focus on being unified, if they will take the the first and second commandment serious, if we can dwell together in unity, it's sweet. Like where we're at right now. It's like the dew, it's like the streams coming down off of, off of this mountain in this sweet setting. And he says... And here, not here in this specific geography, but not even on Peter specifically, but here in this this concept, revelation from God. If you will allow yourself to be vulnerable and open to God speaking to you, the spirit of revelation operating in your life. This is how the church will be built. This is how the assembly will move forward. I just think that's an amazing little parallel. I never caught that before this, this study. Jesus in, in this beautiful nature preserve area talking about the ecclesia, unity of brothers dwelling together. So there's a commanded blessing continuing down in the um In this psalm, there's a commanded blessing. And that blessing is listed as life forevermore, right? I was I was honing in on this phrase commanded blessing, and I wanted to see what other places this was referenced or this was used. In Leviticus 25 21, in in the way that God is giving the prescription for how to let the land rest. When you're planting, you plant six years. On the seventh year, you let it rest. I remember reading that and thinking, so what do you do for the seventh year? Because if you're not planting, you're not eating. You're not harvesting. And then I remember thinking, well, what do you do on the eighth year? Because if you didn't plant in the seventh, then you don't have food in the eighth. So what do you do? You keep reading, and it tells you. He says, then I'll command my blessing. There it is. Commanded blessing. I'll command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. So, in the way that this commanded blessing is similar to d- brothers dwelling together in unity, it's like that it's like that. It's in the same way that God will be intentional to respond to the actions of You know, giving the land rest. Here, commanded blessing. Another example in Deuteronomy the Lord will command the blessing. Again, commanded blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand to, and he'll bless you in the land in which the Lord your God has given you. Again, related to fruitfulness. So here you have abundance, you have fruitfulness this commanded blessing is something that we want. I believe that when we will touch, when we'll go for this, I think that in in our 17 years history, we've had little, uh, little blips, little moments of unity where the Lord has responded Uh, I don't think we're in a bad place, but I know we're not in the best place regarding unity. I think that we can really go for this thing, Um, and and I think it's an invitation. I don't think the Lord is at all in any way uh, angry with us right now with where we're at, but I think there's more. I think that he's saying, hey, you guys are doing great, but there's so much more. I believe that there is a commanded blessing waiting for us when we dwell together in unity. Last part on Psalm 133 in the text. The unity of brothers, literal and metaphorical, dwelling together is good and pleasant. This fellowship is holy like the anointing oil that set Aaron and the worship articles apart. This culture of the community is refreshing and nourishing like the dew of the mountains. I think this is something that we want. So, how can we do this? I'm going to give you a little bit of, of a preview of what we're going to be talking about in session two and three, so I'll go th- through these, a couple of these pretty quickly, but I just want to give you a little bit of what's to come in, in future sessions. We're going to go deeper in some of these uh, of how we are how we can achieve, how, can, how we can go about achieving this unity that w- that God would respond with a commanded blessing. It's not accidental. It's not default. We have to go with intentionality. We'll be looking at coming together on the same page in agreement. How do we do this as a community? There's an interesting passage in Zechariah 11 that we'll get into talking about the restoration of the vertical and the horizontal relationship. We'll also get into John 13 through 17, talking a little bit about that that farewell address that I was uh, referring to in in the uh, beginning about Jesus's way that he emphasized. Guys, I'm leaving. I told you I'm leaving. It's not going to be Uh, the way that it was, but I promise you it's going to be sweet if you will do these things. I'm going to give you a helper. I'm not leaving you as an orphan. If you will serve the way I serve and love the way I loved you, this is going to be really sweet. If you go for unity, if you come together and lay down your life for each other and you abide in my love, you have got something that this, that this earth has never seen and that no, that no darkness could ever touch. And so Jesus began to, to paint this picture for them and give them instructions. And then he caps it off in John 17, talking about this is the way for fellowship. I think that we use that word fellowship way too much out of context. I don't think it's bad, but it's not what Jesus is talking about in John 17. The fellowship in John 17 is something that is otherworldly. It is heavenly. The emphasis on unity of, of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the picture of what the church is intended to walk in. I believe the fullness will be experienced in the age to come, but there there are depths of fellowship and unity on the way to being made perfect that we can touch in this age. And I believe it's, it's something that is available to us. The reason I believe that, there are so many passages admonishing us to be in unity. I want to take a look at one book uh, the the book of Philippians, this letter is just a, a brilliant uh, just progression of of how Paul. This is the reason. This is one of the reasons I believe there's a measure that's attainable on this side. There's something that we can touch as a community. Something that that we can touch uh, in in this priesthood that is available because. Paul is admonishing them. Hey, guys, there is unity for you if you will just give yourself to this. I want to read through a few of these verses. I cherry-picked, I think, six passages that, that we'll just look at. There, and, I, and I want you to see the progression of the way that Paul uh, talks to the Philippians. Uh, and, and it seems like he's describing something that he's seen and tasted of. And he's just like, guys... If you will just do this, it's something sweet, I promise you. Philippians 1.9, this is one of the apostolic prayers that we pray so many times, but I want you to, to think about it in the context of, of community, brothers dwelling together. And, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Philippians 121, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 127, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Next one in 2 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love or any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy do this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Next one in Philippians two fourteen through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. And the last one we'll look at today, Philippians three twelve through 15. Not that I have already obtained this, I'm already perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own brothers I do not consider that I've made it my own but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus let those of us who are mature think this way The language Paul uses in this and the way that he describes the violent pursuit that it takes to attain the goal, the prize of knowing God, the way that he describes the laying down of our lives, the way that he describes there is something sweet that he has seen and touched that he really, really wants for these Philippians, for the church in Philippi, to be able to touch. And I believe it wouldn't, it wouldn't just be in there if it wasn't attainable. I believe that this is something for us that we can attain to. We see in the New Testament a model. I believe they touched it. There's a culture of this community. When you read about the church in Acts, that was something special. When Jesus left, he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, the helper, And that he would give them the helper to guide them into all truth. To remind them of things that have been spoken. To help them interpret things that were going on currently. To give them a heads up of what was to come. To empower them to do life together. And that they would be anointed. He told them a glimpse of what is possible. And and I believe they got to walk in a measure. Here in Acts two forty two, we get the idea that there was a special thing going on in this community. Acts two forty two, I'm at the top of page six. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There was something special I think that there's many components to this. There's many things that that were happening. One of the things is I believe it's important to see is that they continued steadfastly. They had a run culture. They were in a lot of meetings. The description and feeling that you get from reading this passage and and even the, the other descriptions is that the assembly of believers were always together. They were in each other's homes. They were eating together. They worked together. They, they uh, studied the Word together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They were doing everything together. There was some active participation. I believe it's important because one of the things that ends up happening sometimes is sometimes when someone comes into a community, they're not exactly sure what their part to play is. And so if, if you're not careful, one of the things that can happen is you kind of just sit and receive. And there's not a whole lot of active participation on your end. I think that there's there's um, the the potential in this case of others who are being added to who wanted to come and receive. But I believe one of the keys to this community was that they were actively participating. You saw those who didn't have were given by those who did have. This was not uh, this was not a, a, the beginnings of social welfare. This was not a, an entitlement program that was happening. This was the brothers who saw each other actively participating in the body, receiving from one another. This one had food. This one didn't have food, so they shared. This one had wisdom. This one needed wisdom, and so they shared. This one didn't have food or wisdom, but they were a hard worker, and they worked their tail off. And this one needed work done. And so they were actively participating in the community with what they did have. And I want to encourage us, whether whether it's you know you're coming in new and not know your place and just kind of like, oh, I'm not sure what to do, but hey, this is pretty sweet, so I'll just receive. I want to encourage you actively participate. If there's if there's anyone who's in the position of, well, I've been here a long time and I just kind of feel like coasting, I want to encourage you, do not coast actively participate. The body is intended to have active participation. Everyone is blessed when we all actively participate. One of the things that I I think about, you know, as... As we're here as a prayer, as a citywide prayer ministry, a lot of times we'll have people who come in the door and, and one of the, you know, in conversation, it just comes up so many times is, hey, what church do you go to? And, you know, sometimes the response is like, hey, I want to, can this be my church? And we're like, no, this is a prayer ministry, but we want for everybody to be involved in a prayer ministry or in a uh, local church. And so, a lot of times that conversation will will you know not result in a lot. Sometimes people are like, "Yeah, do you have any recommendations?" And there's so many churches here in the city that, that we recommend. And uh, there's other times where it's like, nah, "I'm kind of I'm not really wanting to do that." And and a lot of times the uh, the response that I used to give was, "Well, man, you're really missing out from being a part of a body," which is true. You're not under a protective covering of a fellowship, which is also true of a congregation. Um, you're not, you know, being uh, a part of the body, like all of those things. But one of the things that, that I remember the, the Lord speaking to me when while I was in one of these conversations was there is a congregation that is missing you and your talents and your giftings and your strengths and what you have to offer. You are actually depriving a congregation somewhere else because you're not being plugged in and that congregation is incomplete while there are a lot of things that we will receive when we're when we're in in fellowship in a part of congregation we are actually depriving a congregation with the gifts with the skills with the strengths that the lord has given us so it is so important to actively participate this last one, you know, Paul just really focused on it being of one accord uh, no they didn 't all share the same car that 's not what that means Tom, I know that 's what you were thinking Dad jokes over there uh, they were they were of one accord, they were in unity i i when I read this description, I think there was like a hive of busy bees, and not for all the the bad reasons that people call people busy bees, but there was a cooperative mentality. They were moving with intentionality, with purpose. The church was all on the same page. They would move together. They would uh, participate together. They were doing just so much. They laid down their lives for each other, and it was a continual provoking of oh my gosh they just ministered to me in this way i wanted i want to give back and so there was this this special thing that was happening i believe they walked in a measure of the fullness of god that paul got to to witness so how do how does this Impact us. I believe that dwelling together in unity can be in our future and I say can be because it's not default it, we can't assume that because we have 20 hours of prayer every day, and there are people at the building That we will have unity that we will be uh, actively participating There is a blessed version of community life that could be in our trajectory That could be a part of our future I believe that we have a lot of components already in place. And again, I don't think that the Lord is, is mad or upset with us. I think there's an invitation to more. I think he, he would be saying where we're at right now is really good. But as, as Paul said, that, that we would go for those excellent things. I believe that there, we've got something really good going, but there's something excellent that is ahead of us that we could attain. I believe there's a prerequisite, a couple of prerequisites, and that's what we'll be getting into a little bit more in the following sessions. We have need of many things, anointing, vision, money, resources, etc. But one of the most pressing needs is revelation. We have to know who we are. And that was the point of, of Paul's prayer in Ephesians one seventeen. We pray that a lot, and I think it's, it's good to pray a lot whenever we're like, man, bless this church with the spirit of wisdom. But what Paul's getting at in Ephesians one seventeen, and we'll go in depth in, in the next session, what Paul's getting at is kind of what uh, Jesus was encouraging Peter with. There's something that flesh and blood cannot reveal, that can only be revealed by your Father in heaven. And when you know who you are in Christ by the Spirit of Revelation, when you know that you're a part of Jesus' inheritance, when we know who we are and who we belong to, what we have ahead of us, what we've already got in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will operate differently. The believers in the first century got to live in the most sacrificial expression of Christianity we've ever seen. But I believe this generation that we're living in will be privileged to eclipse that in its expression. I think we get to play a part in that. We're a forerunner community. I think that that the Lord is inviting us to step into something that is uh, that will be just you know. Half a minute before others, that we would get to be a part of the experiment of, of walking in unity when brothers dwell together, unity, commanded blessing type of community. I believe that we could be a model if we if we could get to this. I believe that it's something that is special, that is set apart, that is precious, but is not a default. We have to intentionally move with purpose, intentionally press in to know who we are. We have to intentionally lay down our lives. And we're going to look at at more of that in, in the coming sessions. But this is a call for us. As Paul said, those of us who are mature, let us think this way. This is a call to pray for, to bless, and love our enemies. I think back to the way that Jesus talked in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, do this. But I say, do, th- do this upgraded version. You s- you've heard it said, do this. Well, one of the ones that, that he lists is, you know, that don't just return evil for evil, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say, love your enemies. At the end of this thing, when the, the generation where wickedness has come to its fullness, when persecution is on the rise, when things have really started to uh, pick up on the timeline toward Jesus' return, there will be a church that has learned to dwell together in unity in the same way that Acts did. And there will be a church in the same way that Stephen who was a, a product of that community could could go out into into uh, that experience of being uh, pelted with with stones and lay down his life with gladness in the same way that Jesus would would look at his enemies and say, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." In the same way that that they gave examples of blessing their enemies in the same way that Paul was blessed and prayed for, the great persecutor of the church. When he was in need, the enemy of the church prayed for and blessed and then turned into something that was redeemed and glorious for the church. I believe that there is a call to something higher. But this is step one. Step one is learning to bless those around us, those that we actually like, those that we are good to spend time with, we can't ever attain to the bless your enemies unless we have gotten practice and years of of dwelling together in unity. I remember uh, when uh, a couple when our two oldest daughters were were growing up, and <clears throat> it's probably in the DNA, but they were they were fighting in the same way that I fought with my brother when I was growing up. But they were fighting, and I I remember saying this phrase quickly, but it it actually hit me probably, no, I know it hit me more than it did them. But I I told them, I said, how are you going to ever love your enemy if you can't even love your sister? And that stuck with me, because I believe that is the Lord speaking. How will we ever love our enemies if we can't even love our brother? Not not be nice, not be tolerable, not be just friendly, but how can how can we ever begin to operate in this otherworldly love? To love and bless our enemies, pray for our enemies if we can't even walk and dwell together in unity. Well, worship leader can go ahead and come up. We're gonna respond. I just want to encourage you. If any of this stirred you at all, I want to encourage you to stand. I want to pray for us. Father, we ask you for your help. I believe that David saw and and touched something that was different. He touched a measure of unity that was as set apart as that precious anointing oil. Something that was good and pleasant. Something that causes you to respond to with a commanded blessing. Life forevermore. God, we want to be a community. We want to be people that provoke you to a commanded blessing. To release grace and blessing. Lord, we ask you for help we bump each other. We get on each other's nerves. We have bad days, bad weeks. Lord, help us. We're trying, but we need your grace. So, Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would release grace to us right now. Grace to actively participate this community, grace to intentionally pursue unity. Father, I ask you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I ask you for grace. Oh, that we would know who we are. Grace to lay down our lives for each other. We only know a little bit of what that's like. I ask you for grace for us. Father, would you release the power of your Holy Spirit that with one heart, one mind, we could move forward. Lord, we we want this. We ask you for your help. So would you move? Would you release grace to us right now? In Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.